I'm Dr. Leif Tapanilla from the Idaho Museum of Natural History, and I'm here with Peter Pruitt from Zoo Idaho, and this is The Nature of Idaho. Coming to you from the 1B, Bannock County that is, we're talking all about Idaho, its wild places and wild faces, the natural setting that makes Idaho an incredible place to live and be proud of. Today our guest is John Myers. He's executive director of the Indian Creek Nature Center in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Peter, we're taking a road trip. We're taking a road trip. We're talking nature centers. Yeah, depending on where you grew up, it's either the other Idaho or I'm in the other Iowa. People get confused all the time. Right. And, you know, I think this is going to be a great conversation because we're talking about nature centers versus instead of a nature preserve. Right. We've got plenty of nature preserves in Idaho, but we kind of want to look more towards a center and what that offers. Yeah, we'll dig into that conversation shortly. But first, I bet you got some nature in the news. I absolutely do, Leif. So isoprene is the most abundantly produced biogenic volatile organic compound on Earth. Isoprene. Isoprene, yeah. It's highly reactive and can have diverse and at times detrimental atmospheric effects. All right. It's also produced by plants such as oaks and poplars. And the oaks and poplars do this because it's kind of a defense mechanism to when temperatures really start to spike. So it protects the leaves from sun-related heat. Thing is, isoprene can improve the quality of clean air. However, when it interacts with nitrogen oxide, which is a typical atmospheric pollutant, it creates ozone, aerosols, and generally unhealthy stuff. Okay. So, I mean, it's kind of our it's, – it's organic dichotomy. It's good and bad all at the same time. Huh. And we've got some researchers out of Michigan State University who kind of want to look at, you know, how do these plants produce isoprene? Because as temperatures increase, they release more isoprene. However, again, we're going to go back to the organic dichotomy. CO2, carbon dioxide, actually suppresses and reduces the amount of isoprene that these plants will expel into the environment. Interesting. So increasing CO2, which is happening right now in the atmosphere, is suppressing isoprene, which isoprene can create ozone in the atmosphere if it gets too abundant. With nitrogen oxides and increased temperatures actually increase the production or the release of isoprene. (laughs) So you got CO2, (laughs) which is actually increasing the atmospheric temperatures. But what has a greater effect? Is the CO2 suppressing the isoprene or is there a break point where temperature just takes over and the plants are like, isoprene is being released like crazy? Hmm. So what's our future? I guess. So what the researchers found at MSU is that when temperatures reach 35 degrees Celsius. That's pretty warm. Which is mid-90s. CO2 suppression actually just stops. And the plants, the oaks, the poplars, et cetera, are just pouring isoprene out into the atmosphere. Oh. So increased CO2 doesn't stop isoprene release. release. Uh. Yeah. It's the temperature that has the overriding effect. Right. So what should we do? Do we cut down all our oaks and poplars? Absolutely not. You know, the best thing to do is reduce nitrogen oxide in the atmosphere. Right. And, you know, when we're looking at also types of trees and vegetation to plant, you know, maybe choose uh, if you're in areas that have a lot of atmospheric pollution contaminants like nitrogen oxide, choose a different tree other than an oak or a poplar. Yeah. Well, our trivia today relates to Iowa. 
What percentage of Iowa is agricultural land? Boy, that's a good question. I don't think it's a little bit. I it's going to be. I, it's going to be a lot. Yeah. Boy, could be a hundred percent. I don't know. Right. <laughs> we're going to find out when we get back. When we come back from the break, John Myers joins us to talk about nature centers in Iowa. Stay tuned. Hey, welcome back from the break. I want to welcome our guest today, John Myers, to the show. He's the executive director at Indian Creek Nature Center in Iowa. Welcome to the nature of Idaho. Peter Leaf, yeah, thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here today. Well, so uh, we're, we're taking a little road trip today to Iowa. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and what you do there. So I, uh, as you mentioned, I'm the executive director of Indian Creek Nature Center, which is in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. And I've been at this nature center for about 10 years now, working alongside my colleagues to put together nature centers and share the beauty and benefit of nature in the outdoors with, with the general public. A lot of people may not actually know what a nature center is, so maybe I should start there for, for just a minute or two. You know, nature centers have been around since the 30s and 40s, 1930s and 40s, and have been really growing and evolving over the years. The vast majority of them started uh, during a lot of the environmental movements in the 70s, uh, including Indian Creek Nature Center, who celebrates its 50th anniversary just this year. We've been around for 50 years. And so over those years, we've been really focused on a variety of different ways to get people to be educated and inspired in nature. And when it comes down to it, that's what nature centers do. They educate people. And then that knowledge that we impart is so important, but it's really useless without the ability to take action. And so the inspirational work that we do, that nature centers do, is meant to be that catalyst to say, okay, I have the knowledge in my hand. Now I'm going to step up and take action with that. And so nature centers for long, long time have been focused on that education and that inspiration. And we do that in, in so many different ways that we can get into. But most places have a tract of land and an interpretive center, and they educate, and they have trails, and they get people to uh, enjoy and appreciate the outdoors. So, John, can you describe a little bit about what Indian Creek looks like? I, I, I guarantee you everyone has in the back of their mind exactly what Iowa should look like. But this doesn't really look like your stereotypical uh -huh. Iowa, does it? No, in fact, we are in Cedar Rapids, which is the second biggest city in the state. We have, throughout the entire metro area that we have, we have about a half a million population. And ultimately, we are just on the suburbs of the downtown core. We're not out near farm fields. The main nature center actually sits on a restored prairie that was farm 50 years ago, was farm field, mm -hmm. but through urban sprawl and, and increases in uh, population, there's been more and more density around the protected land that we have. So Indian Creek has 500 acres of land that we own or manage uh, throughout this, the area. And our main interpretive center is a 12,000 square foot building that was opened in 2016. And I know we'll get more into the building in a, in a few minutes, but it is really designed to get people outside. So Nature centers often get confused for museums. We're actually not. We have a lot of similar characteristics, but our goal is to get people outside. And so while we have exhibits and we do put time into interpreting the natural world inside, what's really cool about Indian Creek Nature Center is our building is designed that no matter which way you walk, you can get outside. 
And so you can go in any direction because our goal is to get people outside learning and experiencing the wonders of nature. That's great. Is it a uh, 12-month-a-year open facility? So you have the winter aspect as well as the warm months? Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, there's no slow time of year. We are open. Our trails, actually, we have over five miles of trails on our property. They're open 365 days a year. And people can come, like most nature centers, people can come at any time to hike the trails. Some nature centers are fee-based. Some, uh, like ours, uh, you can just come and hike the property whenever you'd like. And then our building is open typically seven days a week. But winter activities are really, really popular. We do a lot with snowshoeing, uh, cross-country skiing, even fat tire bike racing and riding in the snow is becoming extremely more popular. So there is not a slow time of year. Sometimes when it's got those negative wind chills and I don't want to be outside, I'm, I'm looking out of my office and there are people outside doing winter sports, which is wonderful. Year-round, nature centers are catalysts for the community to get outdoors. So, John, when we look at managing the property, you've got 500 acres. You're not going to see manicured lawns and pristine pathways. You're going to see a prairie, and there's there's going to be some woodlands um, areas in there as well. How do you manage that uh, facility? Yeah. So most nature centers have several different teams. They have an education team, but then they also have a land team. Our land team for existence uh, consists of individuals who have background in natural resources and conservation. And so we do a lot of our own prairie restoration. We do woodland restoration. We have wetlands, creeks, stream beds. So we have a variety of different types of habitats and ecological systems. And most of those are managed by our staff. And that is a big part of our mission. Most nature centers are not just about education, but they're about preserving and caring for the land and the habitat that they manage. And so that's a pretty big piece of it. And so while many people come out to our events or come out to hike the trails, we also have a, we use over 800 volunteers a year. And many of those are used to maintain and care for our land property because it's such a great asset. It's where we take people out to teach or to do special events or to engage them with nature. So we want to show what's possible. In Iowa, for example, that is restored prairie. That is taking a farm ground and putting those roots back into the soil. And ultimately, with more prairie, uh, we have less water quality issues, less flooding issues, and less erosion. And that's really, really important for Iowa, and I know for many parts of the United States as well. How, how do you manage, is maybe the wrong word, but how do you deal with wildlife uh, interfacing with the nature center and the property itself? Presumably, you're adjacent to other lands with different ownerships and that sort of thing. So how, how does that work for you guys? Well, we're really lucky in that we don't have a lot of the um, wildlife, the dangerous wildlife that could interact. You know, we, uh, we very rarely have bears. Uh, there's no wolves in this part of the country. We don't have any venomous snakes. Uh, so the wildlife that we interact with mainly is the deer, the fox, the, the groundhogs, and that's pretty easy to be able to manage. However, uh, nature centers in general, you know, it's all about knowing and being smart in the outdoors, right? And I would say that's true for our place as well. We educate people how to go outdoors safely, how to do this, whether or not they are going out into a grizzly country, for example, or they're going out into Iowa. If they've never been outdoors, it's all new to them. 
And so we educate them. We talk to them about how to interact with the wildlife. We teach them what is the best approach. And uh, of course, in every state, no matter where you are, it's don't feed the wildlife, it's respect the wildlife, it's this is the wildlife's home. And so being able to really teach people about that is a very important piece of, of our mission. So do you have programs that teach or, or help people move in a direction other than, say, mowed yards? And how can people can restore some of their own personal property back into a prairie or property that benefits wildlife? Absolutely. You know, that's one of the biggest uh, challenges that I think is out there is, you know, we can preserve all the public lands that we want to, but the majority of space is in these suburban and and urban areas. And whether it's a business that has a a large concrete parking lot that has a lot of water runoff, or it's a, a fancy mode and chemically treated yard, these are all things that nature centers help to teach and educate about. So for Indian Creek, as an example, we spend a lot of time focused on the monarch butterfly and pollinators. And we have an annual monarch festival, which draws out several thousand people every year. Um, we adopt caterpillars. We adopt the monarch caterpillar and we participate in the monarch watch program. We do a variety of things to show people that the one, there's something to fight for. And I think that's really, really important that we've got to give people the, the catalyst, the reason to go out there and change over their yard. But then we'll give them the tactics to do that. We'll talk about pocket prairies or micro prairies, however you want to term them. We'll talk about not doing chemical treatments on your yard. We'll talk about watering and what that means. And we'll give them uh, alternatives in order to do that. But Indian Creek doesn't just do that with landowners. That is a and small scale. We're also doing that on the, on the agriculture side as well. And so while I mentioned that we aren't on a farm field, part of our land actually that we own near our main property is a farm. We actually own a regenerative organic farm that is uh, working to pioneer and showcase uh, different ways that agriculture can be done in order to relieve the strain of a two-crop corn and soybean agriculture system. And so we're looking at everything from permaculture all the way up to organic growing of the traditional corn and soybeans, because it's whether it's your small scale yard or you have a thousand acres of land that's in farming, we need to make an impact. And nature centers have traditionally been that catalyst. They've been really focused on everything from organic agriculture to small scale homeowner education. Could you talk to us about some of the uh, initiatives that you've developed with your building? Yeah, absolutely. So when uh, we've had a history as an organization for uh, since our inception in 1973 of always finding ways to do things more sustainably. And as we grew up as an organization in an old dairy barn for 43 of our 50 years, our headquarters was a barn that was built in 1932 uh, and was converted from dairy cows to a nature center. And I think that's pretty typical of a lot of nature centers throughout the country, where they were just you finding and using any space that they could use. But we were always doing it sustainably. We were we put solar panels on back in the 90s. We did prairie restoration in the 80s. We used a wetland septic system back in the 90s as well. So we were always doing things that were focused on how to interact and be more sustainable. So when we knew that we needed to build a new building, we were aging out of this barn we were, we were too small. It was too small for us. We said to ourselves, let's find a way to build one of the most sustainable buildings in the United States. And 
At the time, we started doing research on a program called LEAD, which I'm sure many of your listeners are very familiar with. LEAD is a building program, but it is designed to be sustainable. And oftentimes it is way more sustainable than where our code buildings are. However, if you think about the word sustainable, for allow me a digression for a minute, um, sustainability actually is, if you define it, it's the tipping point from negative to positive. So to be sustainable, it doesn't mean that you're, you're still bad. It means to, that you actually have to be, have no negative environmental impact. And so we sought out a program that was focused on no negative environmental impact. And that was a program that's about 20 years ahead of where LEED certification is right now. It's called the Living Building Challenge Program. It's run and administered by the International Living Future Institute. And that program is truly focuses on how can you create a constructed environment that, as I said, has no negative environmental impact. And that is a, a truly challenge. They call it the living building challenge because it is on the bleeding edge of where we all should be moving to. And Indian Creek Nature Center knew that we needed to commit to this program. And so I'll use a few examples of why it's such an important program. Um, and what makes it sustainable, or uh, as we're starting to call it now, regenerative? What makes this building actually give back to its environment? Well, the very first thing is solar energy, renewable energy, but we chose a, an all 100% solar path. And so we actually produce over uh, 100% of our electricity, 120% to be exact, of our electricity usage is produced and provided by solar. So we're actually adding energy back into the grid more than we have, have taken. And so that's a pretty easy thing to understand. You produce more energy than you use. You become regenerative. You give back. And But there's much more to it besides just energy. Water is another great example. Iowa has tremendous water quality issues from our agricultural system, uh, from runoff uh, from farm fields and from runoff from urban and suburban areas. We have water quality issues, we have erosion issues, and we have flooding issues. And so one of the requirements that this program has is that it has to be net zero water as well, meaning that only the water that we can use has to come from this site and has to be returned to this site. So we are not on a public water system, and we do not draw water in from a public system. And we are only using the water that we need, and we're putting it back into the ground. And then we have to actually prove that none of that water is contributing to erosion or water quality runoff. And so these are some of the stringent nature of this Living Building Challenge program. There's a whole lot more to it, but for us, really focusing on energy and water, the materials that go into the building, and then how we operate the building was a really important piece uh, for us. And I think this is really important as to why we would commit to this as a nature center, because nature centers have long been catalysts for impact. They can be nonprofit or they can be government driven. In fact, Idaho has uh, several uh, government driven nature centers, uh, the McCall Outdoor Science School and the Morrison Knudsen Nature Center. Both of those are just like Indian Creek Nature Center are designed to ultimately make an impact and to take dollars from either the public or from 
donors and invest them back into being better, to being leaders, to being community drivers of these principles. And ultimately, that's what a nature center is about. So we committed to this Living Building Challenge program as a way to drive the conversation forward. I, I love what you were just describing, uh, uh, you know, the, the solar and the water commitments that you have. And what I was thinking about when you were describing those is I think it's, it's easy for folks to, who haven't developed those to say, oh, it wouldn't be possible. For us in my situation where I'm living or with, with my institution to be able to commit to a full solar path for energy or to commit to being neutral in terms of water use. And what have you found in terms of the practicality? Because I think there's a barrier in mentally. There's a barrier to thinking uh, there's no way I could make this work. So how in a practical sense have you been able to, I guess, overcome those challenges that surely you must have. Yeah, and every you know every area of the country is going to deal with every, with different things with this program, right? Whether it's water or energy or whatever it is. But I think you hit the nail on the head. The biggest challenge is that mental overcoming that mental burden. And in fact, when we set about this vision, everything told us not to do it. The numbers told us not to do it. The history of of building told us not to do it. There were so many different things that said you can't do this and you shouldn't do this. Well, we, I vividly remember when we made the decision to do this, it was a gut feeling and it was a feeling like we're going to try this. And if it doesn't work, then we'll scale back. But ultimately, if we don't try it, who will? And uh, there were people that said, we can't do this, including as part of our own organization that said, this is crazy. We can't do this. But we achieved it. And Iowa or Indian Creek Nature Center actually ended up being the very first commercial building in Iowa to be net zero energy, to produce its own electricity more than it used. And people didn't believe that it could happen because the numbers said that it couldn't. And I think that's the biggest, the biggest challenge here is you've got to be able to take a risk, calculated risk for sure. But the environment's not going to get better. Conservation isn't going to be pushed forward unless we do it with our passion, not with our numbers. And while the numbers are incredibly important, I'm actually the budget guy, the numbers guy, I know it, I appreciate it. We need that. But if you're not willing to take a risk, if you're not willing to be a catalyst for change, then you're never going to achieve these things. Yeah, and I, and I think, too, when we look at Indian Creek, for us in our own personal lives or our own personal property, we don't have to make the complete leap initially. We're looking at small. We, we can start small. We can say, you know, I actually want to use less water and not necessarily converting into a complete only use what you need type thing, but use less water, you know, use less electricity, start looking at what we can and can't do with solar power. You know, every state has grants that a, a homeowner can start installing solar panels in on their house or around their house. It's the little steps. It's kind of like my daughter when she was in middle school learning math. She gets so frustrated because she wants to go right to the end, but she forgets about all those little steps in math that you have to take before you get to the end. And this is the same thing. You look at the big picture, you look at you look at what you want to accomplish, and it might be daunting to see the end going, how do we how do we get to this point that Indian Creek is? Look at the beginning. That's the important step. Start. Yeah. We didn't have it all figured out. In fact, we still probably don't have it all figured out. But 
um, we didn't when we started this this project. We just knew that it was the right goal, and that's what we teach people. And so when you come to our building, you'll see exhibits, you'll see examples that you can take to your own home and implement these things on a small scale. That's fantastic. And I'm trying to, because I haven't been to your location, could you try to describe, like, in your mind, a perfect day? How about an ideal day? I, I would I would get, I would venture very close to, to today being perfect or ideal day. It is fall weather here in Iowa today. We are in the 60s. The sun is shining. Looking out my window right now, the prairie grasses are blowing in the wind. And we actually have the members of our outdoor preschool. We have a nature-based on-site preschool that comes and attends. They're actually out in the prairie right now uh, playing and learning. They are capturing uh, bugs, I think, right now is, and looking at the different aspects of them. We have a, a rental group that from a business that's in our conference room right now that's out doing some strategic planning. But they're finding the benefits of nature and of creative thinking when being out in nature. We're preparing for a big special event this weekend where we're going to have over 500 people come out to the Nature Center and learn more about our work and what we do. And we have our after-school program that's going to be starting up here in just a few hours. And so the nature centers are vibrant. An ideal, in my mind, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of people interacting and engaging with us because we give them the opportunities. We inspire them. We give them opportunities to come out. And there's a trail walker that just walked by hiking on the trails uh, over the lunch hour. And so, you know, a, a really good day is great nature. And even raining weather can be can be good nature. But it's sunny today. And ultimately, there's a lot of people out enjoying the outdoors for a variety of different purposes. I love that. Thanks, John. Okay, we started off with a trivia question. We're going we're gonna to blow minds about this one. <laughs> Can you help us? What percentage of Iowa is agricultural land? Well, it's a, it's a huge amount, 85% wow. of the land. We have 35.7 million acres in Iowa, and 30.5 million of those, 85%, is agricultural land. That's, that's impressive. In, in Idaho, our number is closer to 26% because we have so much of the interior that's mountainous and not uh, crop use. But boy, 85%, that's a, that's a heck of a lot. Heck of a lot. And it provides a, the livelihood for a lot of people. And ultimately, it's agriculture is a very important product, one that we need to continue to make more sustainable. But it's a very important product. Absolutely. Well, John, I really want to thank you for joining us today. And to learn more about Indian Creek Nature Center and especially the Living Building Challenge, you know, please visit IndianCreekNatureCenter.org. And trust me, I've I had the pleasure of going there this fall. And if you're moving through Cedar Rapids, stop by. It's it's a wonderful and personal feeling. You, know, you get a chance to stand out in the middle of a, a prairie. That's just that's that is a perfect day. I think even Lou Reed would be impressed with that. <laughs> The Nature of Idaho receives support from listener contributions to KISU-FM. Shows are produced at Idaho State University with editing and production by Khalees Kendall and Jamin Anderson. Music is by Idaho's very own Sons of Bannock. Audio of this and all past episodes of The Nature of Idaho can be found at KISU.org from Spotify and other select podcast services. Send your thoughts and suggestions to noidkisu at isu.edu.